Maggie. Hey. Thanks for coming over today. <laughs> ah, it's it's good to be here. Uh, it's so, this so is, good. This is our cold open. And this is our first maskless recording session. Well, if we start talking about that, then it's not evergreen material. Damn it. Evergreen content. Should we? It's our first, because we always wear clown masks, except for this time we're not wearing clown I, masks. I have never put on <laughs> You have two. Oh, well, no, we have a picture together. Oh, we do. Mimes. But that was mimes. We were mimes, not clowns. I did have a black clown nose, I think. That's true. Should we find that picture and post it? Yes. On uh, the cover Although, art? there's a second picture after we left whatever party we were at, which, by the way, was a Christian-y party. It was one of those parties where we were like, we're going to a party. We're going to drink. But it was just a bunch of Christians all standing around being Christian-y. But drinking beers or something, right? Yeah. This is before Mild, I drank also, I think. Mildly. Yeah. But then we went to get Dick's Burgers after. That's the picture I have. I'm drinking a... Do you have the one where I'm just like... I've got like full face, mime face makeup, and I'm eating a handful of Dick's floppy fries. And it's just... Blah, full open mouth. It's disgusting. It's the worst picture it's I've gross. ever taken in my life. Uh, and I have face paint like a juggalo. <laughs> Welcome to Switcheroo. Switcheroo. And, oh, I'm Nick. I am an evangelical turn atheist. And I'm Maggie, an atheist turn evangelical. And I forgot what to say. (laughs) Cut this part out. Definitely not. Uh, Here's here's our great tagline we just came up with that we might splice into every other episode. Um, Okay. And this is our dirty little podcast about religion, sex, and all the in-between parts. Say it again. <laughs> <clears throat> and this is our dirty little podcast. <laughs> no, don't do that. No. <laughs> this is our dirty little podcast about religion, sex, and all the in-between parts. That was, that was pretty good. Okay. I liked it. Thanks. I liked it. All right. Thanks. Here we let's, go. Let's run it. Rock and roll. Rock and roll. I was sitting in the back of sipping on a minty drink. I saw a girl standing there. She was mowing the lawn. I said, hey, Zazik, who's this girl back here? That's the lawnmower girl, what's she doing? Is she talking on the telephone? We have a phone call scheduled. Yep. Is it time? Let's talk to Skip. Let's do it. Let's talk to Skip. Skip Skip McNeely. Skip McNeely. He is in my phone as Skip McNeely. Do you know, I watched the movie Can't Hardly Wait the other day uh, with Mike. He had never seen it. Mm -hmm. But there's a character named Trip McNeely in that movie, which is, in my mind, why we called him Skip McNeely, because of this movie that had a character named Trip McNeely in it. But other than that, I can't think of a reason why we would call him Skip McNeely. Who is the definitely main actress in that? Jennifer Love Hewitt. Jennifer Love Hewitt. I always get that confused with the Rachel Lee Cook. Oh movie. yeah, that was um. She's all that. She's all that. that was a and good can't one. hardly wait. Uh, can't hardly wait was my senior year graduation movie. God, I loved that movie I, so much. I looked online and I cannot find a list of every year's graduation movie. Like the comedy graduation. We have movie. to make that. We yeah. have to make that. Mm-hmm. I feel like mine was definitely 10 Things I Hate About You. Mm, okay. Even though it wasn't a graduation movie, technically. Mm, yeah. 
I mean, I it was that, a high did school. Did like, come out before? I'm sure it did, but I remember watching it my senior year over oh, and okay. over and over again. Um, I just watched Booksmart, and it was outstanding. I think I think we saw that one. Yeah. Let's call Skip. Oh. Maybe he was too scared. He did say he was scared. He was really scared about Should it. Should we just cold call people instead of letting them know before? Oh. <laughs> I heard Kelly in the background. Uh-oh. Was Kelly warning you about what's, what's about to happen? She's coaching you? She didn't tell me anything. <laughs> Good? Good? Um, no, I'm not going to tell him. No, stop hurting me. <laughs> wait, what, uh, wait are you? What? Are you? Are you being tortured? Skip, blink three times if you're in a dangerous situation right now. <laughs> wait, was that Morse code? I feel like that was Morse code. Are you all right? <sighs> no. <laughs> is this consensual non-consent? Is that what this looks like? No, okay. this is not. No, there was no <laughs> negotiation beforehand. Um, but speaking of consent, we heard that you are an expert at anal sex. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, can you give us? Can you give us any advice? On butt, on butts. <laughs> Put it in the butthole. I mean, you know. <laughs> I do consider you a father figure, and so my dad never told me about this stuff. He considers you a father figure in the George Michael kind of way. Yes. Well, I mean, if, if we're being honest, like I, I am his father, so. It... <laughs> Daddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a reveal. Nick, Skip is your yes. father. <laughs> is, that, is that your son? <laughs> is that your real life son? <laughs> are we no, are we uh, talking about off limit things in front of your toddler? Well, I was about to put on speaker and I chose not. Oh, uh, okay. But our little buddy really likes hearing about butts. Butts is a funny word for all ages. It is funny. Tell us, tell us something about butts that we don't know. No. <laughs> <laughs> what? Did, are are you setting healthy boundaries right now? Uh, no, I just I'm not confident that I know anything that you don't. Know. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Tell us something about espresso machines that we don't know. Ooh. Oh, I learned something the other day. The and the, the holes in the portafilter cups uh, they wear over time and hundreds of tiny little holes in there and then the larger ones get prioritized and so uh you guys probably know about channeling in your coffee if you don't tamp it right but now you're getting issues where the cup actually has to be replaced over time because even if you compress your coffee properly it's still going to favor uh, certain pathways but that i'm not totally that's all that's about all i know i just heard that recently don't worry everyone that's a euphemism for butt sex Yes. Replace your porta filters <laughs> on a regular basis. No. Wait, after how many cups? After I, how many pools do you have to replace the cup? Is it the porta filter? The, no, the like the cup that fits into the porta filter. The one with the holes. The one with the holes. Like how often do you have to find a new partner? No. How yeah. many times do you need to replace your <laughs> own butthole? I think people think I'm not going to be with you anymore because we've done 
<laughs> is this a weird metaphor this whole time? <laughs> Maybe they should be asking, how come you're not getting larger with time so that people work? <laughs> that's a really good point. I, sh- I feel like that's what I would, that's my question. Why doesn't your penis get bigger yeah. every time you have butt sex? Oh. Why do I have to stay tight, but you don't have to get bigger? That is a great question. Thanks. Yeah, way to take a feminist perspective. Brought to you brought to you by Skip McNeely. Thank you for uh getting our, our brains thinking. Yep. Um we appreciate you and I think we're gonna get going. Hey, that's great. I'm so happy that we're done. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk to you later. Because you're going to be a regular guest. <laughs> it's coffee time with Skip. Coffee time with Skip. <laughs> Not really talking about coffee. We're talking about butts. Bye. Bye. He's a nasty little boy, isn't he? <laughs> nasty little Skip. Yeah. I mean, for a dirty little podcast. Yeah. We need good guests that, that fit. Um, I have a question for you. Okay, tell me. I've been... Having a little more anxiety lately in my life. I, I know that is uh, a thing that you have handled in the past. And so I just want to hear, like, what is your relationship with that? What advice can you give me to chill the fuck out? Can I ask you first, what? how is your anxiety manifesting lately? I like, how have think, you noticed that it's changed? I think I'm just paying attention to it more. And it might even... Be, I mean, I would say it's growth because I'm like, I'm aware... Of the anxiety, and I'm able to, like, even take a step out and be like, oh, look, I'm doing this thing again. It's not like I'm immersed and drowning in it, necessarily. Right. Uh, usually, it's like my my stomach's kind of clenched up. I definitely have scarcity mentalities, usually hmm. around relationships. That's where a lot of my anxiety comes from. Okay. That's very different from my experience. Oh, okay. So, that's an. I guess that's an interesting place to start. Mm-hmm. That anxiety can manifest in all sorts of different ways. When I started having noticeable anxiety, I was in the eighth grade and I was in the Washington Middle School Jazz Band, which if you live in the greater Seattle area for or have for any large amount of time, you will know that for a season, the Washington Middle School Jazz Band under the direction of Bob Nat was like the shout out Bob Nat. Shout out to Mr. Nat and your cigarette smelling breath <laughs> and your cologne that was just the best. Um <laughs> and your look, your mean look over your glasses into the saxophone section. <laughs> you should have an oil painting made of him. Sometimes you wouldn't be playing the right note on your saxophone and he would come and he would take your saxophone from you and play on it and you would have Straight up cigar smelling saxophone reads. Like he'd pull it out of, of your hands yes. and put his mouth no, on it. No, he wouldn't like grab He would be like, give me your saxophone. And then you would have to because he was your teacher. Just this to is... show you what you were supposed to be playing. Yes. And he would be like, here's what you're supposed to be it. playing. Like Lisa Simpsons. Exactly. And then you'd be like, I can't even do that. This is when the states go marching in. Why would I I do that? I am 12. (laughs) I am 12 years old. It started in the eighth grade. I was actually 13 years old. And it was this really, like, prolific jazz program. And we started to do these very, very big concerts. We started to be playing in front of, like, really big audiences, like 
thousands and thousands of people audiences. My anxiety manifested around one incredibly embarrassing thing. I actually wrote a poem about it. I don't have it, but I will find it and I'll post it on whatever website. Um, <laughs> my anxiety revolved around uh, whether or not I was going to pee my pants. I was so afraid all the time. And I'm certain that there's some Freudian uh, explanation for like my obsession with being afraid I was going to pee my pants. We played this one um, competition, the Lionel Hampton Jazz Festival, which was the biggest regional jazz competition. And we actually won the sweepstakes that year, which was like insane. We beat out 15 other high schools and we were a middle school jazz band. So it's kind of a big deal. But we were playing, what is that university? Harvard. (laughs) Oxford. Uh, Right across the border from Idaho, Eastern Washington. Something in East Front. Anyway, we were playing at this place called the Kibbe Dome, which was basically like a huge sports arena. And the whole place was filled with people. And we were on stage. And I went out on stage. Everyone had to wear their tuxedo shirts and bow ties and cummerbunds. And you had to wear white on top, like a white dress shirt and then a black pants or skirt. And I was wearing this small black velvet skirt. And I was petrified that I was going to piss myself in this black velvet skirt in front of like 10,000 people. And so I went out and I did this thing. Boys probably don't have the same experience because you don't pee the same way. But for girls, there's this like psychological process that if you can like block the hole, you'll see a lot of girls putting their foot under their bottoms because Mm. like it can help you hold it better. Right. And so I went out on the stage and I put my foot like I and I to this day I'm like sitting cross-legged in my chair right now. I have a Are you afraid of, you're gonna pee right now during n- the podcast? No, that would but be I, super embarrassing. <laughs> if I pee. I actually of all the people in the world, I don't think I would be embarrassed to pee in front of you. <coughs> I think I would be okay with it. I did a lot of work around uh sphincter release during childbearing and pregnancy. I've gotten to the point where I could probably pee in front of Almost anyone <laughs> at this point. It's a superpower. Yes. And my anxiety doesn't revolve around this anymore. I was so afraid that I was going to pee. And we were also on like a Diamond Vision gigantic screen too. And the camera was like panning to each one of us individually. And here I am sitting playing the tenor saxophone with one foot under me, like a chicken on her egg, right? Trying not to pee my pants. Did um, you feel like you needed to? Yeah. I mean, Yes. All the time. I always felt like I needed to, or like if I didn't have an immediate exit. And so that kind of started the manifestations where I would always get anxiety if I didn't have a very easy exit Mm -hmm. to somewhere. Even if I didn't have to pee, it was like, I have to know where a bathroom is and I have to have easy access to it. I would say that the like main pieces of anxiety have always been fear of losing control of my body and dying. Okay. <laughs> Did you have to think about it? Well, I had I had, I had sure two things and it. then I tried to think about the wording for the other one and then I lost it completely. So, <laughs> but I think it's just it's, I'm afraid I'm going to die. Yeah. I'm going to die. And yeah. now now it's more like I'm just afraid of having an anxiety attack because they they really can be debilitating. Mm-hmm. And then it just wipes you out. Yeah, Alan Watts talks a lot about Eastern mysticism and Eastern spirituality, really inspiring stuff, but talks about how it's more the we're afraid of being afraid. Yeah. And we're anxious of being anxious. And 
it's that anxiousness about being anxious that is the more powerful thing often. Yep. And the thing that like really messes with us. Because that like original anxiousness, if we didn't have this grand story around ourselves dying or losing the people we love or yeah. being humiliated, yeah. like it's just a feeling in the body. Which is important, but you don't have to like necessarily tie it to the world crumbling around you. Catastrophizing. That's a main piece for me is catastrophizing. And I I've started to through the course of a lot of different avenues including cognitive behavioral therapy and medicinal support and those kinds of things started to pull at these little strings of what the root of the fear is. And the two things that I've nailed down that I continue to kind of like chip at are humiliation and grief that I'm terrified about grieving. A huge part of that is that I haven't really experienced a lot of significant loss in my life. Mm. And so now I'm like building it up. Anticipating having to deal with something really hard. Which is really difficult when you have two little children. Because I'm always afraid that something is going to happen to them and that my life will be over if something happened to them. My like number one thing that I tell my husband is don't let anything happen to them where you could say at the end of it, I only looked away for a second. Because, like, I don't want to have to blame you for the rest of our lives for something happening to our kids that could have been prevented. So, God, that's also just a ton of pressure, right? so much like, pressure. you're telling him to be hyper-vigilant. And maybe that's what he needs to be. But, like, but he, I'm asking him sustainable to, either. I'm asking him to do it on my behalf because of my hang-ups yeah. about grief. I've been able to handle all the big accidents that have happened so far or bloody lips or... I know that I can handle. Did you even those start things. to uh, feel anxious about like a bloody lip? Uh, no, in those sort of circumstances, I've discovered my mind goes into kind of a robotic mode, and Mike is mm. the very uh, emotional one. Like mm-hmm. he gets really freaked out when big like crises start to happen, and so I my brain goes into like full robot. Here's what we need to do next. Here's the next step. Here's the next step, and I. I kind of turn off my emotional sensors. It it seems like that would be confidence building than like, oh, look, I can handle the small stuff. So probably I could handle a little bit more at least. Yes. If not a lot more. Well, the big thing that I learned in cognitive behavioral therapy, the method that we used in my therapy session was uh, exposure therapy. So we just exposed my brain to repeated stimuli that would cause me anxiety that I knew was triggers over and over and over and over and over again until the symptoms continued to get less and less. Did they make you pee your pants? No, (laughs) no. When I start to have a panic attack, I imagine it like a wave that I'm riding on a surfboard and I can just like ride up to the peak and I know that eventually it's going to crest and come back down. It's the way up that gets me there. (laughs) So you can see it coming. Yeah. And you know, like, I know what this process is like. Is it you just coaching yourself through a it's, panic attack? A lot of it is visualization at this point. What are now. you visualizing? That that wave. I know that this is going to get to a certain point, And I can also say, I am not going to die from this. This mm. is not going to kill me. Mm-hmm. Your body is not in a dangerous position right now. If your body was in a dangerous position, you would be responding differently. This mm. is This is normal. You've seen this before. That kind of thing. So I do yeah. coach myself in that way. And also, I have people around me who know 
how to coach as well. So like if I'm by myself, I have a, f- a couple people who know the coaching words that I need to hear along the lines of this is a normal response to stress or this is your body telling you that you need to take it easy and mm-hmm. you know, those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to think that these responses are there to help you. Mm-hmm. They might be just a little confused, I guess, or, or seeing a danger like a saber-toothed tiger in the savanna. That's exactly that's not actually. That's what there. My therapist talks about all the time is that it's you're being chased by a tiger. It's a fight or flight. It's normal to be afraid and to run response. from a tiger. Yeah, and your body is trained to run away from a tiger, but mm-hmm. a staircase is not a tiger. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting how our minds grasp what the tigers are. Mm-hmm. There are very few legitimate tigers. existential threats. Yes. In our day-to-day lives. Yes. For most of us. Yeah. But there are symbolic tigers yes. all around. Yeah. And some of them are subtle, of yeah. course, and some of them are less subtle, I guess, when, you know, we're having panic attacks. Yeah. But it really, it continues to come back to that feeling of my body is out of control. Like, I can't do anything to stop what's happening to me. Yeah. That's it. Cool. And the poem that I wrote? Oh, yeah. It was called All the Boys I've Ever Loved and Devin Becker, who was a guy that I had a huge crush on at the time. and Can we call him? I don't know. Don't think I have his phone number. I don't think I've had Do his phone number. Do you think he'd remember you? I'm certain that I had his phone number in middle school, because I don't know if you did this, but I collected all the numbers of the people that I... We didn't have cell phones back had. then. No, but I knew I still have my oh, first like... crush's phone number memorized. I know it absolutely oh by heart. Don't say it. I'm going to say it. <laughs> no, it's probably belongs to someone else at this point. <laughs> yeah, right? But anyway, I had all of their phone numbers because, like, in my little Rolodex or whatever, because you never know when you're going to want to 11 p.m. at night call them and breathe heavily. Uh, did you do that? <laughs> Probably. Uh, I did a lot of. That's how you expressed attraction. Creeping. Yeah. There was uh, a lot of creeping that happened in middle school. Did you? Uh, but that's okay. who. Uh, what... I was going to say, like, did you follow people around or. No. But I Show did. Show up at their houses? Oh, I did put itching powder on a girl who was dating someone I liked one time. Yeah, get her. I got her, but it was it was it didn't work. <laughs> it was like from a, from a magic supply shop, and it wasn't like real good itching powder. It's not like I, I mean, what is in itching powder anyway? She didn't get dumped she because get, of it. No, I thought maybe they ran it might. you yeah. into your arms. <laughs> exactly. I'm not itchy. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you want to be with me? <laughs> Only itchy girls. <laughs> Who wants an itchy girl? Mm, disgusting. Yeah. So last episode, yeah, <laughs> we talked about some stuff. Yes. What did we, we talk t- about? We talked about our 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 deepest darkest fantasies, and <laughs> you you had brought up one. Yes. And and you had said maybe you had talked to Mike about it. I, I brought up two, I think. Oh, and so okay. I'm wondering. We have talked about it. My husband and I have talked about it. Okay. But we, we only talked about the, uh, one. Yes. Okay. The so the one, one, the one that was the more like had more uh, handholds, <laughs> if you will, like more or easier to accomplish was a female glory hole. Yeah. And, and it's I, not really a glory hole, just uh, no, for my people. It's, it's not uh, a glory hole. Somebody going down on you while. There's a wall in between. There's like a wall or a curtain so that you can't see yes. like beyond your pelvis Correct. or something. Yes. Who's down there? Right. I almost imagine 
those drawers at the morgue where like I'm laying on a bed and then I slide my lower yeah. half of my body slides on that sliding Some drawer. Some people have like morgue the... and medical scenes. Is I that... am not interested Wait, in the morgue. Want... Okay. <laughs> Just the the idea of the sliding Goth very cake. very comfortable normal mm. bed <laughs> yeah. sliding into another area where I cannot see. Mhm. In, we like, should get a carpenter to build this. I agree. I'm envisioning <laughs> something I mean, very I, elegant. Ideally, in another room that you have to like exit the room that I'm in. So mm-hmm. not the same. But anyway, we talked about it. It was not my most comfortable moment. Did, did you pre-correct and be like, I'm going to say something vulnerable. And I gave, here's how I would like you to respond. Yes. Pre-correcting? Is that a, a phrase? Because I like yeah. it. That's what uh, we use in behavior analysis. Okay. Like you anticipate a problem that could arise and you talk about it beforehand. That is exactly what I did. I mm. was like, I anticipate being extremely vulnerable in this conversation. I really need you to not laugh. I really need you to listen. And I believe that this will improve our sex life if we are able to talk about these things. And... So proud of you. It was Even really that good. Is, is just awesome. It was really good. I think I said something, though, before I even said all of those things where I was like, can we talk about something? And that triggered kind of an anxiety response from him where he was like, uh, something bad is going to It's going to be bad. I know that feeling. <laughs> and I, I, oof. And I, and so then I like pre corrected myself <laughs> by being like, no, 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 no. It's, you corrected. I correct. I, I changed course. Yeah. And I said, it's about, us and sex, and it's going to be good, but it's going to be hard. And then we talked about vulnerability, oh. and then we we kind of set up boundaries around appropriate responses, and he responded really well. It's not like we didn't construct anything, right? But we have attempted to m- make use of that fantasy mm-hmm. in accessible ways yeah. in our own sure. home. <laughs> yeah, you don't need to go out and spend $1,000 right. or anything. You can... Nor do we kind need pretend to or role play. cut any holes in our walls, in yeah. our house. But we, he has made efforts outside of me asking in the moment. Like, he has made efforts in the moment to kind of address that uh, desire. And it's been good. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Would you give any advice to listeners as to how to do something like this better? I wish that I had more utilities prepared in advance. Here's what I want to do, and here's how I'd like to have it done. Because he had to be the engineer of everything. I think if Mm -hmm. I had said, here's how I want like this sheet hung up or whatever, so that on these push pins. So this would be after you've had the conversation and you're like trying to. I think it would have been better if I had had some strategies put in place Mm -hmm. so that he didn't have to create my fantasy from very little information. Yeah. Was that an interesting problem though for him? Like I could see some people being like, I mean, he does have a very, I can problem solve some sexy stuff. He had a very engineering mind about it, which was cool. But I think I probably would have gotten closer to exactly what I was thinking of if I had helped with that strategy. Mm -hmm. Did you debrief or anything after your scene? No, we didn't debrief. But it was good. So it didn't feel like it needed debriefing. It Mm. was just like, that was a great orgasm. (laughs) Yeah. End of discussion about it. It Uh was like, that worked. Yeah. And so we'll continue to talk about things and see if they work. Yeah. 
It was positive reinforcement for being vulnerable. I have so many questions. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so one thing I'm reading right now in an excellent book called Come As You Are. It's about uh, female Is it sexuality. Come As You Are. No. Okay. Uh, it's kind of like the Nirvana song. Okay. That everyone learned as how to play were. in college. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and they were saying that, you know, sometimes the things that you desire aren't actually the things that feel great. Yeah. I mean, you might have, I mean, one extreme example would be like, I have a fantasy of being taken by five strange men that <laughs> yeah. climb through my window. But like, obviously you don't actually want that. Right. Probably. Right. So you had this fantasy. Did it play out the way you thought? Or did it have teeth as like, this is a thing I'm super into? Yeah, I think it was a step in the direction of this is a thing that mm. I'm super into. Closer than I've ever experienced. So yeah. I, it was on the way, I feel like, and it can continue to build up. Cool. Something I learned at the Center for Sex Positive Culture, they would have tastings. And so it would be stations or booths around yeah. the room and people that were experts at different kinks. And you could go and just, like, try 20 or so things. Yeah. And, you know, they've done this for years at their space. And I was brand new at the time. And it was surprising that a lot of the things I thought I'd be super into, I wasn't. Yeah. And a lot of the things I didn't think I'd be into, I was. Can you give uh, one example of each? Yeah. Pressure point play. I was really into. Okay. Who would have thought? Who knows? And it was pushing different points on your body and then just like kind of going into extreme pain that you... I don't know. Are you familiar with subspace? No. Okay. So this is a big thing in kink, especially like BDSM. And often in BDSM, there's going to be a dominant and a submissive. Right. And... Often the submissive is getting pushed around in various manners, you know, that could be restraints, that could be uh, roughhousing, it could be hypnosis, it could be just dirty talking or like storytelling. Mm -hmm. So the sub, it's, it's kind of like a physical response of how our body takes care of itself in extreme situations, you have kind of this out-of-body experience. It feels kind of like being drunk or high. It's very euphoric. Do you feel like chemically there's like more endorphins that are being released? And There's certainly something chemical. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. There's absolutely something like flooding your brain. I'm not sure exactly what that is. Well, is that, do you think it's the same scenario as like autoerotic asphyxiation where like you're depriving yourself of certain Uh, i mean it might be involved that though like you're depriving your brain of oxygen right Uh, which is not flooding your brain yeah i mean i'm sure chemicals are also involved in that yeah if you get assaulted you'll probably go to a similar place weird but oh like out of body yeah protection mode Yeah, yeah yeah and it might not be that you're floating next to the ceiling looking down on yourself i mean it could but it's almost but like it, a blackout yeah or like you yeah you get kind of dazed i don't know but it's a super pleasant 
situation and just a way to explore one's psyche and body. And so the pressure point uh, definitely got me to that place like super quickly. Wow. What was one that you thought you would be into and you definitely were not into? Somebody was cupping, which is sort of that Asian. Yeah. uh, I think they had like glass or something and they would like make little fires uh, within it and it would create a vacuum and suck your skin up into it. There might have been ways that I would enjoy it more, but part of what this person was doing was like kind of moving them around. Like, so there's a suction, like really strong suction and then like moving them around on your back or on different places. And looking back, you know, sometimes things just take more warm up. Yep. Like if you had started slower. I think it's, I think it's a matter of degree. I don't know. I'll, I'll change the subject a little bit, but like uh, (laughs) a lot of times when people talk about drugs, it's all about the dosage. Right. Right. And I mean, and this is anything from recreational to, uh, you know, medication. Yeah. Dosage is the difference between things feeling good and you dying. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yes. And so just about any drug. I don't know if someone says, like, I really don't enjoy being on that. Yeah. Um, and that's totally legit. Like, you don't have to take anything. But I would bet if you change the dosage, you would have at least a better time. I, if not an enjoyable I've time. wondered that about, like, gummies, like, edible weed gummies. Oh, edibles like, that knock I would... me over, and, like, it's usually not pleasant. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, so if you were able to be, uh, like, very systematic and kind of scientific and, like, keep a journal. Yeah. Like, last time I took five milligrams, and that was too much. Let's yeah. try three. Yeah. And write that down and, like, okay... This is what's good. Or I did this on an empty stomach or right after I exercised right, or whatever. Um, I think kink might be a similar thing where if it was done light enough. Yeah. I don't if know, you claws, had, had a lower Claws dosage. are a thing. Yeah. Right. And so it's if someone just like very lightly dragging their nails across yeah. you. Most people would find that pleasant. Some people yeah. actually might not like that. Yeah. Um, but it's a very different thing. Like if you're right off the bat digging into somebody. Right. Usually. I like I like it, except when I'm just about to have my period, and then mm. it feels like spiders. Like, I feel like I'm, oh. I don't like yeah. that kind of touch when I... Kind of like if you have a fever, too. Your skin is yes. just super sensitive, and you're just like, everything's over-stimulating. I'm yeah. crawling with bugs. So, so there's that. Maybe if you cupped in a lighter, gentler way, yeah. that might have worked for me. Yeah. Obviously, some people like it super rough. Yeah. And then also, warm-up is a big thing. Uh, I don't know if you've had much experience with like spanking or other impact things. Usually you want to start off pretty light, but then like once you get into subspace, you can be like, go harder, harder. Like, Interesting. Like, I mean, I've, there's no limit almost. I feel like that is certainly true for anal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. Warm up is 100% key. Has Mike opened up to you about anything? And we don't need to share any of his stuff, but I'm just curious, was that kind of sentiment of vulnerability we, reciprocated? Not in equal kind, mm-hmm. but certainly with his receptiveness, like that vulnerability was really made open. His tenderness around like not making fun of me for not really knowing exactly how to describe this thing that I was mm-hmm. wanting or, but we definitely had ended that conversation, not with doing the thing, we ended that conversation. That was it for the night. Like mm. we didn't 
go into any sexual experiences after it. Did you say that you wanted to do this or do something similar or were you just sharing something that you thought was I shared the thing and then uh, just like, yeah, I just said, this is something that I fantasize about. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of concluded the conversation with, let's begin to be more open about these things. So Mm -hmm. we're at this place where there's an open door to kind of have this conversation. Now, it's not that that door was closed. It was like the door was invisible before and we didn't know that it was there. So now we know that it's there and it feels like there's kind of equal ground. Do you think he could initiate a conversation he wanted to have? I know there have certainly been times in my life and even still where it's like, this feels embarrassing and... I, I almost would prefer somebody to be like, hey, tell me about that. And I, be like, okay, thanks you for giving me a platform. I don't I know if I can initiate. I think speculating on his behalf is starting, it feels like it's borderline, uh, like telling his story for him. But I can say that we've had disagreements or not disagreements as in like arguments, but like, I think we fundamentally have different views about the purpose or place for pornography And so I think that these conversations are going to be harder for someone who comes from a background of, like, especially a a deeply evangelical background, which I feel you could speak to, of, Mm. like, pornography is evil and satanic. and, And if you watch pornography once, you're addicted. And there's, like, this kind of all these negative connotations around pornography. And I came from a background of explore what your body likes and like mm-hmm. l- look at these people doing these things and isn't that interesting and like try touching yourself and see how it feels and didn't didn't really understand it as bad until yeah. much much later to the point where i was like even when i heard messages from the church of like pornography is bad i was like meh <laughs> <laughs> i mean in contexts in contexts where there's exploitation happening sure if yeah. it's not if it's actual exploitation and not consensual non-consent exploitation, right? Like, Mm -hmm. certainly there's pornography that's like, ha-ha, I'm being exploited. Isn't that great, right? Mm -hmm. But anyway, I have never really had a problem with pornography, and that has has made it easier for me to talk about what I like and what I don't like. Mm, Um, And so I think I can't speak for my husband about, like, what he likes or doesn't like or how comfortable he feels talking about it, because I don't know. But I do know that from people I know who have grown up in that tradition of exploring sexual desire is off the table. It's just it's harder to get into that headspace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I would guess there's at least a little bit of taboo nature to this conversation, which could yeah. m- make it hotter. Yeah. This and is, more exciting. It's our for dirty him. little podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope so. But I'm curious how you made that transition. It was probably not overnight. The sex is bad and wrong. To sex is not bad or wrong. <laughs> oh, okay. So the just sex in general, not pornography, pornography specifically. Right. I would say it was definitely after I had stopped believing. But I was still in these environments and having lots of conversations. And actually, kind of this Bible scholar I was talking to once a week, sort of a mentor figure in like a professor in religion or something. I don't know. Yeah, one of the questions I brought to him was about sex outside of marriage. And he's like, let's look up what the Bible says. And there's a lot. It was just like, and he's like, 
I'm not convinced that you shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, I mean... It, it says don't commit adultery. Yeah. That is not what we're talking about. Right. And but, that what a construct that... Like, what a power construct to say that adultery is cheating or, like, uh, being unfaithful to a person that you haven't married yet. Like, yeah. that's the whole premise of don't have sex before marriage in the Christian church is, like, you're cheating on your future spouse. Yeah. I mean, and... It ha- comes from, you know, a history of treating women as property. Yes. Uh, who is way more okay for a man to have sex before marriage. Checking mm. women's hymens, yeah. which, FYI, is complete bullshit. Yes. Not just from a philosophical point, but like, that's not what hymens I, do. That's not how they work. Also, I don't... My hymen broke long before I had sex. I, and like, it never... It, like it doesn't go away yeah. when it breaks. It's still there and it repairs itself. It just gets more elastic. Yeah. Right. Um, anyway, so I was still definitely in a Christian environment surrounded by Christians when I was like, I think sex is probably okay. I think I might have still been going to church or just like right at the end, at end where I was about to stop where <laughs> I, I was 24 and I had never kissed anyone before and finally like this woman who I'd just been in love with forever. Uh, we finally like got together. The first time we hung out, I mean, she came from like across the country to hang out. You know, she was kind of expecting to have sex as it, <laughs> one would. Yeah, as one right? would for flying across the yeah, country. Yeah, right? Uh, and, <laughs> and as much as I wanted to, God, I so wanted to and like I'd been, you know, fantasizing about this my like since puberty, basically. <laughs> uh, but for whatever reason, I was just like, like I didn't have condoms with me. I'd never bought those. Yeah. I don't know. I'd never kissed anyone or anything. And so, I mean, we made out a lot and like we went down on each other. But even that, I think my body was just kind of like still getting its feet yeah. under me. Did you have internal sh- like shame? Yeah, I think there that? was probably a little bit of shame and just also... It was overwhelming. Uh, also, you know, someone I've been in love with for years is finally like reciprocating, and that was overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And so there was just a lot happening. It took a little bit, and we hung out like maybe we got together again like in a couple a couple months later, and that that and is banged it out. I feel, <laughs> I feel like that was um. The time that we were living together was uh, that was yeah, a you're pretty around for that, right? Yeah, pr- pretty pivotal switcheroo intersection where I was just starting to realize that I felt like I didn't want to have sex before marriage anymore, mm. and I I feel like in a mostly healthy way I was deciding that, but it was more I wasn't deciding it because God is mad at me or because I'm like the backwash at the end of a Coke can or the rose that's been stomped on or whatever. Is that an analogy they use? Yeah. Backwash? Youth group. Yeah. Like like you're used up and cast aside. What they do. And this happened in a youth group that I was in leadership for. And I definitely spoke out against it. But they lined up a whole bunch of boys and they passed a Coke can down the line and everyone took a drink of it until it was just the last drink. And then the pastor was like, now, girls, what boy is going to want this last drink of this Coke? No one's going to want it. And it was supposed How to be... It was up. so fucked Jesus up. Jesus Christ. 
And really, really like, gender bad. it like that too. Yeah. Put it on the women. Yeah. Let's it's like the, totally it's a shame them. Girls' responsibility. Like all of these boys are drinking Coke. Like right, yeah. they're all taking drinks of the Coke. It's all it takes two to tango. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I knew that that was bullshit at that point. Even though I was deciding, but I had been sexually assaulted several times mm. at, up until that point, and several times, yeah. Ugh. And so I had, uh, I had gotten to a point where I was like, I am like putting this shit on lockdown for only circumstances where it feels like this is safe yeah. or healthy or love or even loving, like not, mm-hmm. and it that felt a lot more secure. And then when I started to kind of uh, spiritualize it, I imagined, and I still feel this way a lot of the time, that with a good God who has, scripturally, we would say, like, a plan to prosper and not to harm you, right? Like, I I know the plans I have for you, a plan to prosper and not to harm you. If that's our God, then I believe that there's a best And then there's a bunch of stuff that's like not quite the best, not a best. And then everything else is hell. It's like a best. My best scenario would be having sex with this one person. Like if there's a plan, like the ideal situation. Yeah. The ideal situation. Like if that's the God that I have, it's a God that has this plan for total beauty and wonder and some suffering, but like that there's this best way of living life Mm -hmm. and that you can approach it. And you can veer away from it. But the difference is not this is the only way or hell. You can try and approach that and you can like live in this way that will help you get closer to it. Or you don't. And like, whatever. Maybe it's second best. Maybe it's like not on a continuum of best or worst. I started to think about, I want to try and approach whatever is the best and healthiest for me, mm-hmm. whatever that means. And so I was, you were like, I got to start having sex. And I was like, I think I should stop having sex. Cause I was in this like really negative spiral of only having sex with people who are absolutely the worst. <laughs> and so. Christian, was that my best friend who you had sex with? Your best should friend? Should I say his name? Are you talking about <laughs> 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 no. no, but, but he was a really nice guy. Good. Good, 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 <laughs> Your best good. friend was a really nice yeah. guy. And I really appreciated everything that we shared together. Great. But I will say that he was one of those people who was like, I appreciate you. And I think you're really great. And I think you're going to find a great guy. I don't think I'm that guy, even though we were sleeping together. <laughs> and I was like, mm. okay. Um, oh, man. Just about him. Um, <laughs> I was like fully i this is when i learned that i'm kind of a nurturer and that i mm-hmm. needed to be with someone that i could nurture yeah. was that he had a chronic illness mm. uh like i believe a degenerative chronic illness yeah, ms ms and i i was like fully on board with it. wherever this goes i'm there do injections do mm. like mm. That's really push sweet. you in a wheelchair like yeah. i was fully prepared for that and i ended up writing a song that year after dating him, talking about uh, the song was called Sicker Than You. <laughs> and the song song was about, like, I'm ready to do this for wow. my partner. Are you ready to do this for me? What if Does I got sicker? Does he know sicker? you wrote a song about him? I doubt it. You know, I you should thought, call him and tell him. Yeah. We should call him right now and tell him. I was like, man, I should date Taylor Swift. 
and break her heart. Yes. So she'll write the best song about me. She'll write such a good song. Um, I always thought of that too about uh, Adam Duritz from Counting Crows. Oh, I love Adam Duritz so much. I I was obsessed with Counting Crows. Like, I've always said, you ask Mike, I've always said if I could sing with any band, it would be them. Oh. Like, without any question in my mind. Mm -hmm. He's so cool. And his whole mental health stuff. Yeah, he is. It's really interesting. Oh, I'm surprised you know all this stuff. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, I, cool. I'm a diehard Ken Cross fan. Have we talked about Di- this? Probably not. But we, I'm sure we listened to Ken Cross together. I like traded bootleg albums and stuff on the internet. Whoa. I'm not that diehard. Okay. <laughs> but I definitely have full harmony arrangements in my mind for almost all their songs. Hmm. So that I, if I ever got called up on stage, I would be ready to sing. Can we do a harmony of one of their songs? Yeah. Like, like uh, not right now, but... Uh, I've been getting into music. Mrs. Po- Mrs. Potter's Lullaby is my favorite. Oh, my really? Favorite. Okay. Yeah. I would. I mean, I'd say their first two albums were just incredible. The and perfection. Everything, yeah. Musical perfection. August and Everything Out After, I think, is one of the greatest albums of all time. I, it's Honestly. one of those albums that I, no skips at all. Like, yeah. go Every straight through. Is, Ugh. is a single. Colorblind. I oh, cannot yeah. cry with. I cannot listen to that song without crying, no matter what. Yeah. And Obviously, I'm a baby. Who <laughs> can't not cry? Wasn't that song in a uh, what was that? Cruel intentions. Cruel intentions. Oh. Ryan Felipe. Oh, and you just uh. yeah, I can feel all the and feelings. Was that Reese Witherspoon? Yes, and uh, she's God. Oh, what a good movie. Uh, so we good. watched that together. So actually, sexy. And that was. I mean, I would say that was a formative sexual movie really? for me. Like where uh, I was starting to embrace sexuality. Didn't we watch it in and, our basement? I can remember. I'm like. I think we watched it several times. Putting it in. I'm like putting myself back into that place. Yeah. And. Dirty little movie. And, you know, I mean, I would say Ryan Felipe was one of the earlier guys I was attracted to. Ugh, me too. <laughs> um, not to mention, like, everyone else in that movie that was yeah. super hot. Yeah. And, yeah. And things, okay. So, yeah. Listen, remember what we talked about, about my anxiety? Yeah. I have to pee really bad. We're also way over time. Okay, so maybe... Um, Should we... we just wrap it up? Yeah. Okay, let's okay. do it. Uh, this is great. Yeah, it's great talking good... to you. As always, let's do this again. Okay, I'll see you next week. Let's do it. Same, <laughs> same, same time. T- same time, same place, same my, place. my dingy basement. Your, yeah, your secret little basement. <laughs> my dirty, dirty, dirty secret little basement. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you there. Okay. All right, bye. Bye. I was sitting in the backyard sipping on a minty drink. I saw a girl standing there. She was mowing the lawn. I said, hey, Zazik, who's this girl back here? That's the lawnmower girl. What's she doing? Is she talking on the telephone?